Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Kara Dansky, who is a lawyer and advocate for women's sex-based rights. She also works with the Women's Human Rights Campaign, which can be found at womensdeclaration.com. The prelude, or the inspiration for this particular conversation, was that I pushed out a tweet on the Twitter that criticized feminism for using masculinity as the yardstick for female achievement. Me and Kara kind of got into that a little bit on Twitter and quickly realized that that medium does not support the nuance required to get into those ideas on a deep level. And so Kara offered to come on and we talk about mostly the proposition that feminism is about the liberation of women from patriarchy. One more note on this conversation. I could perceive some people being turned off by me, a man challenging a female about what feminism is. But I hope it comes across that I deeply respect Kara and her work, and I challenge it in order to better understand what does it mean to liberate women from patriarchy. That all being said, without further ado, here is Kara Dansky. So what do you want to cover? Should we lay down ground rules or just dive in? I'm okay either way. Um, if you've got ground rules, let me know. But otherwise, we can just dive in. Um, it's not really ground rule. It's just like the perspective. You remember the wolf event in Seattle? Um, sure. Prior to the great changing of the world. Um, so I, I did a report on that. I had a film crew. We filmed the anti-wolf protest beforehand, and they had a meeting. And then we went over and we watched the wolf meeting. And there were just there were certain symmetries in the rhetoric between what those what your group and what their group were saying. They were both standing against patriarchy, oddly enough, and they're both ascribing themselves as standing up for a victimized class or standing up for liberation. And the, the optics of that were interesting because if you look at it from kind of a slightly, um, slightly objective or outsider perspective, you see that the trans rights group was actually more pathetic and more victimized. They had more uh, vectors of oppression going on, mental health, housing, uh, monetary support, and you know, and then of course, uh, a contingent of them had uh, gender dysphoria or were undergoing uh, transition, which is a very big uh, hit to somebody's uh, life. There's a lot of uh, time, money, and energy that's put into that process. So it looks like if you if the if you play out purely on a victim standing or a standing of liberating the oppressed, then that group was more oppressed 
than the group that you were involved in. You guys were much more astute, much more put together. Uh, the, the audience itself was uh, upper middle class, at least. And so there was just this interesting tension in the rhetoric that the trans rights group seemed to have adopted from the feminist standpoint. And I just think that that's interesting if you wanted to like tug that apart and and see how that operates or how those two things are connected and what makes them distinct. So, so I think three things. One thing I think is that when the opponents of feminists say they're fighting patriarchy, they're lying. So even though that is part of the rhetoric, it's simply not true. Um, what, what our opponents are in fact doing is seeking to further enshrine gender into the law. And that is something that we wish to abolish. And so from our perspective, what they are doing is totally patriarchal. So that's what in feminism is known as a reversal. They are just taking reality and completely reversing it and saying something that is simply not true. So the second thing I wanted to say from your introduction is that the framing that we're talking about distinct classes of people is also, I would say, inaccurate because the opponents of feminism can't really coherently define any sort of class of people. And so when someone says, you know, we're standing up for the rights of transgender people and you start to ask questions about, well, what does that word actually mean? The whole thing tends to fall apart because no one can ever define that as any sort of coherent category of people, unless, of course, you're talking about the category of people that they would refer to as trans women, and then we're talking about men. And men are a distinctly defined category of people, but I would argue that men are not oppressed on the basis of sex. So, and then the third thing I just wanted to say coming off of your introduction is I, I really don't like the whole framing. And I understand why, I certainly understand why you were doing it this way in February of 2020. And I understand the, um, I understand the inclination to frame this as feminists over here and some other category of people over here. I actually don't think that's an appropriate framing because from a feminist perspective, we're trying to liberate women from patriarchy to use the, you know, the terminology that, that we use. And that's our goal. And so this whole trans thing has kind of hijacked that goal in the name of preventing women from fighting for our rights, or even, as you experienced in Seattle, speaking about them. We are not even allowed to speak about women's rights without offending a bunch of people who think that we shouldn't do that. So what does being liberated from patriarchy look like? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a question I get a lot. And so by way of answer, I'd like to offer an example, if that's okay. Uh, several years ago, I was having a conversation with two of my friends, both women, uh, from childhood. And we were just sitting around drinking wine, having a talk. And th th one of them asked me that question. And I said, well, you know, let's start here. Let's start from the standpoint of eliminating rape. And she said, well, that'll never happen. And I thought, okay, that's really depressing. Not because she may or may not be right. I don't know. 
if she's right as a factual matter. But the fact that she could not even imagine a world without men raping women is a problem, I think. And so the question, what does liberation from patriarchy mean, is is a good one. And I think that it could be approached from really a number of angles. But let's just start with the idea, as at a minimum, can we imagine a world in which men don't rape women? Can we just imagine that at a, at a very minimum for what the liberation of women from <clears throat> patriarchy might look like? Mm-hmm. So if you expand that, then ultimately you're seeking a world that has eliminated evil or everybody's liberated from evil. Because if you want to eliminate rape, why not eliminate murder? Why not eliminate violence in all of its aspects? So this is what is so interesting that very often something that frustrates a lot of feminists is it's very difficult to keep the conversation focused on the rights, privacy, and safety of women and girls, right? So I mean, if you want to make it your life's mission to eliminate murder and robbery, that's cool, right? Like, who would argue against that? That's a great thing to do. But that is not feminism's main project. Well, if, if you're going to... Okay, so how would you implement a world without rape? How would I that... don't know. Men can figure it out. <clears throat> just stop raping women. Not you. <laughs> but, like, men can just stop raping women. I don't know how to make that happen. I mean, we could we could start by some practical things like talk about how we raise boys and we could talk about things like sexual exploitation of women and girls throughout culture. We can definitely talk about those things. But at the end of the day, the way to eliminate rape is for men to stop raping women. And I know someone in your audience is right now thinking, but women rape, too. I know. I know that is undeniably true, even setting aside the whole nonsense about how a man can identify as a woman and rape someone and have that be reported as a woman, which is a problem in and of itself. But even setting that aside, do some women occasionally rape people? Sure. Is that horrible? Of course. But we know that, you know, 97 or 98 percent of rapists are men. We just know that. So let's just acknowledge that and set aside the Mm -hmm. argument, will some women rape too? 98 percent of rapists are men. I think that's accurate, but I would want to double check that before being quoted on that. Yeah. Um, let's just put that there, that the m- significant amount of rapists are male. What percentage of males are rapists? That I don't know. I don't have that statistic. It would probably be a very small, I'm, I'm guessing it's a very small uh, percentage of men. But if, if men are to stop men from raping women, then we would need some sort of enforcement of that. We would have to have a cultural enforcement of that and then probably a legal enforcement of that or a law enforcement of that. So we, we would have to erect a structure of enforcement to police men uh, and, or to restrain men from situations where rape could happen, which would mean uh, to, what, to what degree are we willing to go to end rape? Are we willing to enforce, if we're just, and this is just a thought experiment, an uh, entire police state where drones are flying around everywhere, where all men are tagged, where their heart rates are monitored and their position is monitored, and if their position uh, is next to a, a female and everything's being recorded now and the, a heart rate 
thing goes up, then all of a sudden uh, the police swoop in, right? Like I can imagine that would be a place where we would reach uh, almost 0% rape, but then you would have to figure out, well, when is it the case that men and women are actually uh, participating in uh, not, not uh, a non-coercive sexual activity? You would have to figure that out. I just, if you want to end just rape, then we need to erect a structure, a very authoritarian structure that that eliminates freedom. Why? Ultimately. Why? How, if you want to end something, then you have to control for it. And if you're going to control for that, then you have to actually insert a mechanism of control. Why? Well, how else are you going to do it? Unless you're going to geld men. I mean, if you take away men's testicles, then they won't be motivated in that way. But why should it, why should it requires such extreme measures. Well, it's it's a. I think it's a big ask. If you're seeking for the elimination, the absolute elimination of something, then you need to enforce that. So this is what makes the conversation so interesting, right? You're going exactly to the place where my friend was essentially going, right? My friend was basically like, "We're never going to do that," and that that's basically what you're arguing because what you're arguing is that we can't do it because men are always going to rape without taking some. Ex- extreme enforcement measures that, that I'm guessing you would be unwilling to take as a society, and probably most people would too. But I guess that's, that's precisely the problem, is why should it require such extreme measures for men to simply not rape women? Why can't they just not do that? Well, I, that's a good question. And for me, it goes back to the problem of evil. Right. It, it's a very big question. Why do people do bad things? And if we are only going to be able to talk about rape in this, then it kind of stops the question from actually getting into really deep-seated um, mechanisms uh, that created human life, that sustain human life. And are, you know, we have to block out the fact that history, and by history, I mean all of biological history, has been a cascade of sex and violence, like all the way up to the present day. And if we want to be more realistic, then we have to think about, well, are, what are the statistics of rape? Are, is rape trending downward? And and what 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 is causing that trend downward? And is it authoritarianism? Is there something in culture? Are men, or uh, is that small percentage of men getting less access or being pressured in non-authoritarian, more cultural ways to not participate in that activity or commit that act? I mean, I don't know the answers to those questions. I think those are all perfectly good questions to be asking. But the reason we're focusing on rape here is that you asked me, what does the liberation of women from patriarchy look like? And my answer to that question was, well, let's just, at a, at a minimum, consider the possibility of men just not raping women anymore. And already, it's, it's hard to even have that conversation, right? Like, even just suggesting that brings in this whole other conversation about, well, what are the enforcement mechanisms going to be? And then this whole other conversation about, well, how do we eliminate all forms of evil? But but if we're just talking about the question of whether it's possible to eliminate rape, the solution to the problem of rape is for men to not rape. Like, it seems pretty straightforward to me. But you haven't proposed any way to have that happen. 
So what is the, what is the path between where we are now and this ideal uh, future of zero rape? Like, well, where, where's I, that not, middle? Where's that to step? Be clear, to be clear, I'm not saying that's an ideal future. I'm saying that is a bare minimum. That is that is a a bare minimum. If the question is what does the liberation of women from patriarchy mean, I'm not saying that's it. <laughs> that's just the starting point. Okay. But how do we get there? I mean, this is where it gets frustrating. Is you're asking me that question. But the thing well, is, the answer to the question is men can just stop raping women. Why don't they do that? Well, again, like, why don't men stop? Do you, yeah. Why don't do human beings I mean? stop being violent? But, but I'm not talking about that. We're talking about this. See, this is, this is how the conversation gets frustrated because it happens frequently when women okay. want to talk about a topic that is of central concern to feminism or to women in general. And somebody says, well, what about this other thing? And it's like, well, we're just not talking about that right now. We're not talking about robbery. We're not talking about murder. That's that's great. If you can go solve those things, fantastic. That'd be well, wonderful. What if they're related? Do you mean what like if, what if solving simultaneous? What if, yeah. What what if solving rape requires solving violence, all forms of violence? What if they're related? What if what if the mechanisms that inspire rape, which would be uh, power, anger. Uh, and then uh, some sort of psychological state um, and uh, maybe some sort of cultural acceptance of that or not. I don't know. But what if it's a whole package? What if rape isn't something that's completely isolated? What if it's connected to a bunch of other things? So we have to exclude all that. Are you saying we have to exclude all that to, to get to the bare minimum of, of no rape? I mean, and sure. Then, why, why not? And if the, if the question then becomes why can't men just stop raping women do you have any suggestions about that do you have any is there anywhere to go to answer that do you have any yeah guesses? i mean yeah. yeah that that's when we could go back to the whole line of conversation around raising boys to not want to do that we could talk about sexual exploitation of women throughout society we could definitely have all of those conversations yeah. if, i mean if you want to i don't know if we want to go down that road but this this whole conversation that we've been having up until this point is kind of about the the difficulty of it's really about the difficulty of imagining a world in which women are liberated from patriarchy, which was your original question, right? Like you you asked me like what does that look like? Yeah. It is so hard for us to imagine what that looks like because and I don't even always like the word patriarchy for reasons that you probably understand. Male domination of society is so pervasive. We're so used to it. It's very difficult to imagine a world without it. Have you? And sometimes is I get, you know, I get pushed there back. That, Sorry? Is there a piece of art that imagines that for us? Or that, uh, do you have like a developed uh, vision of a non-male dominated society? Like, is there well, a concrete or some sort yeah. of detailed vision of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's appropriate to, to frame this as though it's kind of like my opinion that men have been in charge for thousands of years. Like this isn't a matter of ideology or opinion. So for example, if I ask you, can you name 10 female heads of state? 
I don't mean like government officials generally, actual heads of state in the history of human civilization. My guess is you could probably come up with 10 in not, not, not a very long amount of time, probably not too many more than 10 is my guess. I've done that thought experiment and it changes over time, right? When I asked mm-hmm. myself the question five years ago, it's different now. But, you know, the number of actual female heads of state throughout human history is pretty small. And then if I ask you the question, how many male heads of state have there been throughout history? How would you answer that question? Many. I mean, do you have a number? I don't have a number. It's countless. Yeah, that's the point. So the fact that it has been almost exclusively men, and then that's just asking about heads of state, right? If you expand it to government officials, CEOs, presidents of universities globally throughout human history. Mm-hmm. It, it's not really an opinion that men have been running things, right? Like that's not an ideology or an opinion. That's quantifiable. I, well, yeah, but you're only looking at the outer, we're only looking at the outer uh, running of things. We're not looking at that. We're, we're looking at like the husk of human society. We're not looking at the hearth of human society. The but who's women's in a power to- women's power runs through every male. The power of the female has created every single male and selected for those males that gain powerful status, right? Well, that didn't women really end help up us copulating we with men who have resources, therefore men go out and get resources in order to copulate with women. I mean, that's a very conservative view of the world, but probably also true in terms of how things have played out. But my ability to have a baby didn't really help me out very much when I wasn't allowed to vote. I mean, not me, obviously, but, you know, women have not been in positions of decision making when it comes to how society is actually going to function. Like you, 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 no one can credibly argue that for thousands of years, men have not been in the positions of authority to make decisions about how society is going to run. Right? Like, well, to what degree? I just, uh, I would argue that, that, that what we have recorded is masculine. It's, it's very masculine. The, 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 the outer mechanisms of society, the broader mechanisms of how governments function, all that stuff is basically male-oriented, and it has been male-oriented. Why? We can ask that question. But that leaves out, if you only look at that, you're leaving out so much very important, formative, uh, woman-led institutions of the family uh, and of the matriarchy, which could be actually not recorded because of another, uh, a bunch of different um, reasons, whereas women didn't find it. And that's a problem in and of itself. You know, the fact that it's not recorded is a problem in and of itself. But, you know, when it comes to brass tacks and how things are going to run, you know, men have been making those decisions. When it comes to occupying positions of power in society, in law, men have been occupying those positions. I just don't think that's even a debatable thing. No, but... And that matters. That matters, right? Like, I mean, you know, I can, in the early 18th century or so, I'm, I'm sure women were, like, doing a lot of really good things, but they certainly weren't making the decisions about how, at least in the U.S., about how our society was going to function. We couldn't vote. We couldn't serve on juries. We couldn't get divorces. We couldn't own property. Those things matter. They matter tremendously. Mm -hmm. 
And that has changed since that particular date. Somewhat here. Yeah. 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 I mean, certainly, the, yes, certainly the, the right to vote. We got that and we can serve on juries and we can have credit cards and we can own property and all that good stuff. Yeah. Which would count as progress, right? So we're progressing towards uh, some sort of balanced uh, state of relationship between male and women, uh, men and women, and how they're treated by society. I think that that is probably true, um, but now we've got this other problem, which is that we're not even allowed to say what women are. Mm. Yeah. That's a big problem. And that's where most of our agreement can fall down on. I just, I, I think, and this, I can't remember the tweet, but I, I was sipping bourbon and I made a tweet about uh, feminism uh, kind of betraying women when it started to use the male as the yardstick for accomplishment or for achievement. And that laid the groundwork for the undermining of the female yardstick of agreement of of achievement and i know it's a sore issue but the fact that women do produce children and the amount of formative power that a mother has over her son and her daughters is tremendous those first four years are tremendously formative for the the psyche that goes out into the world the psyche that ends up making decisions the you know it's the hand that rocks the cradle power and, and i think that if you overlook that, you're missing out on so much of what it is to be human. And therefore, when we try to start to co uh, coherently and together form a uh, more perfect union, uh, form a, a better vision of society, if we don't give the female her due and only look at the male, only look at who is running things, who who's faces on the coin of things. We're only looking at that outer aspect of society and not to say that that doesn't need female input. It absolutely does. But if we only look at that, then we're missing out on so much. We're just missing out on so much. And it starts so to obscure the lines about what a male and a female are. And then we have uh, an inability to start to make uh, just small decisions where we can form good relationships and then have another family or, or form, form families that work with a man and a woman together to create that nuclear unit. So, I mean, okay, so there's so many things going on here, and I'm not entirely sure what is maybe the most productive um, direction yeah. to take it in. But let me just say a couple things. One of which is, um, I think that my experience, just, just anecdotally, purely anecdotally, I would say that my father had probably more of a role in sort of forming my worldview and kind of who I, who I am and how I function in the world than my mother did, which is not to say that I didn't have a good mother. My mother's a lovely person. I promise. Um, but so I, I just kind of have a, my own sort of personal negative reaction to hearing the kinds of things that you just said, just because it wasn't my own experience, but I understand yeah, that, yeah. that that that's just my experience. Um, and the other thing is, and, and this is what I thought was so interesting about that tweet conversation that happened. So when I hear that feminism is partially to blame for the gender insanity that we're seeing in society today, which is not how you framed it, but that argument is not uncommon. I'm going to tell you what I hear 
And then you can tell me if you think I'm hearing it correctly or not, and if not, how I'm getting it wrong. So when I hear feminism is partially to blame for the gender insanity that we're seeing in society, what I hear is she was asking for it. So am I hearing it wrong? And if so, why? I could see how that would be a uh, assessment of that, a fair interpretation of that. But like I would say, and this is where I get out of my expertise, I don't know this. But we had in the academy, we had feminist studies, then we had women's studies, and then that turned into gender studies. And if you look at a lot of the theoretical underpinning of gender ideology, it it's got it's got feminist theory woven through it and you can see that in the rhetoric and you can see it in actually the descendants and then how it's how it was incubated in the academy and you know how it how it goes out into the world so i'm not blaming feminism but if you say that feminism has no responsibility whatsoever for queer theory and then i think that that's inaccurate i'm pretty sure that that's inaccurate I would I would argue that the uh, the trajectory that you're describing is totally true, but that in fact it was queer theory that hijacked feminism, not that feminism is responsible for queer theory. More that feminism was doing its own thing, and queer theory came along and tore it apart. So, for hmm. example, you know, at its root, queer theory and the subset of it, which is you know this gender identity ideology. This is fundamentally about the commercialization and fetishization of male sexual entitlement. And that is not like we cannot say that feminists Mm. are responsible for the commercialization and fetishization of male sexual entitlement. That is the exact thing that feminists have been fighting against for decades now. Um, So so I would just argue that queer theory, in fact, hijacked um, feminism, but I, but I also wanted to highlight another tweet. I have it open on my on my oh, no. <laughs> thing here. Um, so this is unrelated, uh, or it's not directly related to the conversation you were having about feminism and gender. You tweeted something called "Bad Dog Pitbull Politics and Multi Species Justice," right? Yeah. And so you you had this uh, picture. This is not your words. This is from a description yeah, and, of whatever and just this book is. For a slight bit of context for the listener, this is uh, training that is mandatory or at least optional, but is being given to animal, not animal right, animal control people in California. Like people who are actually working to deal with animals in the city are supposed to take this particular course for training or credit. Okay, and its description is, Bad Dog, the name of the training, examines pit bulls and animal shelter politics through the lens of what I term, again, this is the author, this is not you, Benjamin, what I term interspecies intersectionality in order to identify how relationships between humans and non-human animals shape and are shaped by experiences of gender, race, colonialism, nation, and sexuality. And it goes on. But my, my point there is to say, you know, I know that you and your listeners, you know, can see the absurdity of that. That's what you're highlighting. 
And that would be a great example of queer theory. But there's no way that feminists are responsible for this nonsense around intersectionality of interspecies or whatever postmodern nonsense that was talking about. So I guess what I mean to say here is, what, you know, it's it's so tempting, and I get why it's so tempting to hold feminism partially responsible for the gender insanity, except it's it's actually much easier to hold queer theory responsible for it. Because, as I said, this is fundamentally about the commercialization and fetishization of male sexual entitlement, which feminism has been fighting. Yeah, that's true insofar as we're talking about males. Um, but it's not true when In we're fact, talking that's about why it females. Uh, there's an entire subset of females uh, that are transitioning. And I've interviewed several. So, Benjamin, and, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think up? we cut out for a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lost you for a second. So okay. I, I missed I can, the first part I, of what you said. The, I will tend to agree with you when we talk about um, male activity within the queer theory and the radical trans rights activist movement. However, in my conversations with females, specifically female detransitioners, there was something that they that a portion of this subset of this group internalized about femininity being inherently oppressive, that the female is is oppressed and therefore the male is free. And so the female seeks to become the male in order to gain that male freedom. I think that that is a misconstrual of the feminist uh, argument about the liberation of females from patriarchy. I think that I think that <clears throat> I think that there's room for some sort of responsibility that feminism, largely Rick, can do to take responsibility in order to better articulate its arguments and save females from internalizing this hatred of femininity because they're caught in this worldview that sees the female as oppressed inherently by the male and totally oppressed. And while it's true that there is oppression, it's not true that that should rule everybody's cognitive behavior. If you internalize that, the output of that is it's damaging. It it makes you the victim. It causes you to think that you don't have any control over yourself, that you, that femininity isn't something that you can foster and, and love about yourself because it's inherently the key to your oppression. Except that that's not what feminism argues. In other words, I, I think that you're kind of flipping it. So, and I should say, it is it is perfectly clear to me why so many of these young women are taking these hormones and getting these surgeries. And I understand their argument, but but it's not um, it's not that there's something. It's certainly not that there's something innately inferior about being female. And this is where I think we get into trouble when we talk about victim mentality or something. Because, you know, I want to be able to say that I am a victim of male sexual harassment. Like, why can't I say that? <laughs> if I go outside, it happens a lot less frequently now that I'm older. But in my 20s and 30s, it was relentless. And it was awful. And why shouldn't I be able to say that on an almost daily basis, I was a victim of 
sexual, of, you know, male sexual harassment without somehow that making me, um, you know, without being accused of like whining or having a victim mentality or something. It's just a fact that it happened. Okay. And, yeah, but yeah. there's responses that you could take that are more or less adaptive to that. Um, like you, you can have power over how you interpret that male attention. Yeah, uh, how I interpret it. I mean, uh, no, and and by which I mean not physical, but but like verbal attention or something on being directed and looked at sexually or being treated sexually. There's a way for you to allow that to. Uh, there, there's different ways for you to take that attention and and deal with it. And, yeah. and there's more or less healthy ways of doing that or more or less ways that empower you or disempower you in that. Okay, but let me just ask you this. Why should I even have to? Why should I even have to do that? I'm just walking down the street, minding my own business. Can I say something crude on your podcast? Yeah, Is that okay? as long as you sing it like uh, Louis, I, I was walking along. My, no, I'm not my, singing. I'm, kidding, I'm not kidding, singing. Kidding. I'm going to tell you something <laughs> okay. that someone said to me one time, yeah. and it's very, yeah. cr- these are not my words, right? Okay. So yeah. I'm 20 years old. I'm in college. I'm standing on a corner, crossing the street, carrying my books, going to my apartment after class. 20 years old. And this white pickup truck comes down the street. I'm waiting for the light to turn. And as it passes me, some guy leans out of the window and says, hey, Give me some of that pussy. And then continues on his way. And I'm standing there like, like what? I'm, I'm just standing here. I'm minding my own business. I am literally, you know, so. And, you know, then because he drove away. I, I just was standing there left with these sort of horrible, disgusting feelings. Hmm. So, you know, why is it on me? Why is it on 20-year-old me to sort of do as you say and, you know, have control over how I interpret that? You know, why, why, maybe maybe he could just not do that. (laughs) Yeah, but you you still, are you saying that you have no power to interpret that attention? Like, you're powerless to process that or to choose how you process that? Well, I mean... I guess what I'm saying is, no, I'm not saying that, but why do we live in a world in which I ought to have to? And by the way, you know, that was one of the more egregious ones, but I was 20 and it only got, you know, it it didn't get better from there for a couple decades. And I'm not saying this to say like, poor me or why me or anything like that. I'm saying this to say, this situation is real and I just really would like it if our society, instead of putting the onus on me to interpret the way or, or have power over the way I interpret that, maybe men could just not do that. How about that? Like, could we imagine a world in which men don't do that to women who are just standing on the street corner minding their own business? But the reason we got here is because you were talking about the women who have put themselves through um some really and and I would also say have been victimized by an incredibly abusive industry that is taking young people and chewing them up and spitting them out and you know stealing healthy body parts and it's really awful and I just I just want to say I can completely understand why some of these young women would would choose to do that rather than live in a world 
in which men can lean out of their car doors and say, hey, give me some of that pussy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on... Let's, let, let, let's reframe things. Well, let's attempt to. What made academic feminism, and there are a variety of feminisms, and hopefully, eventually, in this conversation, we can get to a better, I can get to a better understanding of proper feminism, like kind of tear off some of the barnacles that my imagination has put upon this movement. It's a big movement. It's very complex, filled with a lot of different people, a lot of different strains of thought. But what caused academic feminism to be susceptible to queer theory? What are your thoughts on that? Why, what made it weak to that? And what makes women uh, susceptible to promoting, let's just say, trans rights activism and promoting uh, trans women are women. A lot of women are promoting that and they would call themselves feminists. And they would they say would. Well, that's proper feminism. They would. Um, yeah. So I'm... So I went to college in the early 1990s, and this was when there was still women's studies, and I I suspect that I that I went to college before uh, the successful overtaking by queer theory. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm not exactly familiar with exactly how that happened in academia. I just, I, I just wasn't there and I wasn't paying attention. So I don't really know other than to say, as, as you saw in Seattle, a lot of people really don't like it when women stand up for ourselves. And so I would speculate, but I can't prove that the assault on women's studies by queer theory had a lot to do with people being really mad that women were standing up for themselves. And, you know, at at the heart, if I understand correctly, I'm speaking a little bit out of my comfort zone here, so forgive me mm. if I'm stumbling a little bit. Um, but my understanding is that at the heart of queer theory is a lot of commitment to pedophilia. It's a lot of commitment to sexual fetishism, male sexual entitlement. And we just live in a society where that is always going to, well, has always one out over women's right to autonomy. I guess that's about as much as I'm willing to speculate about that. The question of why women push the gender stuff is, I think, a really, really good one. And I get asked it frequently. And, I, you know, one answer is that, well, first of all, I, I am coming, I know you know this, from the perspective that all of gender identity is oppressive to women. It is grounded in stereotypes that women have been fighting or that feminists have been fighting for a very long time. So if we view gender ideology as a system of oppression, we can then go a step further and say, it's not all that unheard of for women to participate in our own oppression. How do they benefit from that? Well, they don't. That's the really sad part is they don't at all. In the short term, though, it, in the very, very oh. least, they get to exercise compassion. In the very least. There's I mean, a benefit. So, so, okay, so, but it's not compassionate, which is something else we could talk about. Hmm. Compassionate would be telling the truth and protecting children. But, but setting that aside, um, yeah, they get to be liked. They get to be liked. They get, they get the attention that they want. 
Um, they get to be well liked. They get to be accepted. You know, it's as I'm sure you can imagine, it's kind of lonely being a woman who says no to this, right? I've lost work. I've lost friends. You know all of these stories, not mine necessarily, but you've heard these stories. And um, going along and getting along is much, much easier. Which doesn't mean that it's laziness. I mean, I think it's worse than laziness. I think what it's doing is enabling abuse. So I have a, a piece that I wrote and I put up and I talked about how I view the what I refer to in the article as the gender identity industry, which is uh, Jennifer Billick's terminology. And I make the case or I, I, I argue that the gender identity industry is itself a narcissistic abuser. And I use that language deliberately because I I hesitate to use language like that. I am I will not say that you something don't want to or someone those terms. I don't want to dilute those terms. I've been in an abusive relationship. I know what it looks like. Mm. And, you know, my boyfriend and I get in lots of fights, but I would never, ever, ever call him an abuser because he's not. You know, like I would just would never do that. So I was very careful. And I chose the language very deliberately, and I said the gender identity industry is a narcissistic abuser, and I did my best to make my case. And part of that is I said, like all narcissistic abusers, the industry has its enablers. And I go into sort of breaking down how the government, well, not the government, but government officials are one category of enablers. The media are another category of enablers. And I talk about the ordinary average everyday people who push this ideology, and I mentioned specifically the women who are pushing this ideology, and I refer to these women as as enablers of a narcissistic abusive industry. Hmm. Because in my experience going to college in the late uh, teens, 20 teens, as an older student, I think we're about the same age, but I I delayed my maturity uh, for some time. Uh, It was female professors that are pushing this. We're pushing, everybody knows that gender is a social construct, you know, starting to, to, you know, announce pronouns and bios. Now, I am watching other education systems within that are responsible for young children begin to push this she, her thing. They're like, this is, this is good for us to start doing. And it's mostly women that are doing this. There's, how do we convince them that that's not a good idea? But why, why is it? I, I I don't know why. You're saying they're, they're enabling this, but it seems to be somehow in their imagination the out like just the next step in progress, like fem, fe, female rights and then gay rights and now trans rights. It's it's all a part of this linear progress. It's all wrapped up. Maybe they're not looking at it, but they don't they don't see that they're destabilizing children. They don't see that they're destabilizing social mores that restrain men and restrain women and that need to be constantly negotiated, but there's a mutual restraint in, in bo- on both sexes in order to protect and, and to forward society. But this queer stuff, I, I see it at Evergreen. It's just, it's a lot of women are promoting this. And in my imagination, I say, well, 
they're they're infantilizing all the youth so that they become really responsible. It's it, there's some sort of weird kind of uh, mothering thing that's going on that I see, and and I'm sorry if that's offensive uh, in any way, but I, I kind of see that that nature impulsion destabilizes, infantilizes, and then they get to coddle. They really can coddle the the bare bones identity of of the of the teens uh, that are very vulnerable to this or made vulnerable to this. I think I might honestly just be too old to understand what is going on here because <laughs> from the, <laughs> I'm serious from, as I said, I went to college in the early nineties before this really took hold. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, this is slightly off topic, but I, I can also share that it was when political correctness came on the scene. And I remember thinking, this is a bad idea. Really? Right? Like, yeah, I'm as I'm as politically lefty as you get. And I, and I thought it was a terrible idea. I just right. thought it was a terrible idea for society. Because if somebody... <laughs> so I had a professor who, in a political science class my senior year, who argued that women should should not have ever been given the vote because we're too emotional that like he he was serious he was completely serious and if that's what he thinks i want him to be able to say that so that i can know that he thinks that and so that i can construct an argument as to why i think he's wrong but if we just shut down discourse and if nobody's able to say what they think because it's politically unpopular i really think we lose the ability to do that and now mm all these decades later, obviously, it's even much, much worse than it was when I was in college. But anyway, I say all this to say, in 2014, a woman kind of woke me up to sort of what's going on with all this gender stuff. And I should say, I never, um, I never particularly promoted it. I kind of just went along because I, I kind of just thought that was the good liberal thing to do. And I, I made some mention of sort of, you know, trans rights, and she was like, oh, no. And she completely schooled me on the radical feminist arguments against gender. And I haven't looked back since. That was in 2014. And so now today, just being, maybe it has something to do, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Maybe it has something no. to do with my conservative uh, political science education. And by conservative, I don't mean politically conservative. I just mean um, it was not postmodern. We'll just put it that way. Um, I got a very good political science education, and then I got a law degree, and I am a little bit older than, you know, I'm a I'm solid Gen X, and I like thinking critically, and I have been doing this gender stuff for seven years now. So it's very difficult for me to get in the mindset. This is where I'm going. It's difficult for me to get in the mindset of the female professors that you're referring to. I just don't have any understanding as to what they're doing. I don't get it at all. I want to ask a question. If this is impolite or uh, you don't want to answer it, uh, just let me know. We can go on to the next question. How has your dad influenced you broadly in your thinking and in your uh, just in, in your personality and your life and the way that you deal with the world? So uh, he was very instrumental in teaching me the importance of honesty to the point that I'm almost like not capable of lying, um, which is a good thing. I'm very glad that uh, I, I just I, I can't do it. Um, he also was very instrumental in teaching me to think critically and not to accept, not to just accept something at face value. 
uh, he and I had a lot of uh, knock down, drag out political battles during the, you know, what would it have been, 1992 presidential election? Because we had a difference of opinion on was, who we were. Who was even, was that Bush? That was Bush too and Clinton then. Yeah, uh, in the general, yeah. But um, in the primary, we're both, you know, my dad and I are both Democrats, and so we had a lot of arguments about that. So, um, you know, he basically raised me to be a lawyer, and then he was kind of annoyed when I became a lawyer. Uh, I'm just <laughs> kidding. He, he wasn't really. But, um, no, he just, he really uh, influenced my way of thinking. Could we construct a a male society based on your dad? Did he... Is he a good exemplar of what you expect men in general to be like? Yeah, in general. You think like his his uh, there's his principles would scale to uh, a better uh, male uh, society side. And if so, what what would be what would those be like? Can we start to? Would you be willing to construct through your relationship with your father a an answer to the question of how do we get men to be better men? You know, that's a really interesting question. And my immediate answer is that I am much more interested in focusing on on women and that that what you're describing is a perfectly good idea for someone to do. Like, that would be awesome. But in the meantime... I'm doing sort of weird things like talking with groups of Republican women who invite me to bring my radical feminist Democrat perspective and forging political alliances and writing legal briefs and talking with lawmakers and doing those things. So that project that you described seems like a valuable project, and it's just probably not something that I want to take on right now because I'm just much more interested in working with women. Then what is what are something that you're learning about or what's something that you can share about uh, conservative uh, women or conservative would they even call themselves feminists oh no what's something <laughs> that no okay but so what are you learning about uh, how women interact in society from a conservative point of view and and is there uh, something that in in building those alliances is there what what's the common core of the female experience and then how is it distinct from from your feminism so a couple things i'll just share a brief story of a conversation that i had yesterday that is maybe not exactly responsive to your question but it i i find it interesting which is this i was meeting with a group of republican women again they know i'm a radical feminist democrat they know who i am when they invite me i'm talking with these women and one of the women in the group said how can we deal with the problem of transgender athletes in women's sports And I said, okay, well, I've got some ideas on advocacy, but let me back up for a second and ask you, what do you mean by the word transgender? And I'm saying, I'm not asking you to parrot what you think that word is supposed to mean. I'm literally asking you to tell me, what is the meaning in your own head when you say that word? And she said, well, I thought we had to use that word. And I said, okay, well, do you mean men and boys? And she said, yeah. And I said, why don't you just say men and boys? And and I wasn't doing it in an antagonistic way. I was just like, a, you know, why don't you say men and boys if you mean men and boys? And she said, I didn't think we were allowed to say that. And 
I was just really astonished by that because, as many of us know, it's my party, the Democratic Party, that's really pushing all this gender stuff. And this is a Republican woman. She's obviously very smart. She is very politically engaged. And she feels so much pressure to use words that she cannot define and that she doesn't agree with. And I'm not criticizing her. I understand why she was doing it. But it was like, as soon as I said, if you mean men and boys, just say men and boys, it was like this whole room full of Republican women just breathed a collective sigh of relief. It was like, oh, thank God, you know. So that happened. Um, so that was interesting to me to just sort of learn that even, you know, conservative women are just feeling so um, pressured to capitulate to all of this. But the other thing that I've really just been thinking about is that I know that Republican women and I, for the most part, are just never going to agree about abortion. It, it, we just never are. I mean, some Republican women support abortion rights, but, you know, we're never going to get anywhere on that. And so I know that and probably lots of other issues as well. But I, one thing that I have learned, and this is going to sound obvious, but it kind of was helpful for me. In my heart of hearts, I know for a fact that there is no Republican woman who wants me to get raped. I know that there is no Republican woman who wants me to have to share a bathroom with a guy. I, I just know this because I, I just... I know that women do have a shared experience as women, regardless of political ideology. None of those women in that room that day wanted that guy to yell that thing at me when I was 20 years old. None of them. And we can work together on that basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is an unformed thought, but there's, there's a tension in this, just as a thought experiment, that the feminist line of thinking of, that, that you brought up about looking at all of these male achievers in business and in society and in controlling the world and operating everything, this patriarchal structure or this male um, pattern power seeking and uh, distribution uh, that, that's been very effective throughout history. There's just something interesting about how you we see how men achieve and how men devote so much of their time and their energy and their value as a person in achieving uh, power, status, etc., resources. And then we look at the transgender sports issue and we see that men perform better than women in a track meet. Is there not something similar between the way that men achieve in the business arena or in politics and the way that men uh, outstrip women in speed? Is there not like a difference based on sex that causes men to value outward power seeking and status that women don't value as much or women have a more rounded uh, value system or they are, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, just weaker in some respects, or not as focused or compelled? I mean, I would argue no. Um, and I would also just say, I think, tell me if this is wrong, but I think you're asking the nature-nurture question. Are men's successes in society relative to, maybe not successes, um, power, um, men's power in society relative to women in terms of those power structures, um, yeah. is that based on nature or nurture? 
Is it based on something innate or is it based on something learned? Well, is it, is there not a similar, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. Is there not like a similarity in the way that men will outstrip women in a track meet and men outstripping women in a business scenario? Is there not something similar there? I mean, I, my argument would be no, that men outstripping women in a track meet has to do with physical differences, purely. And uh, that men occupying positions of power throughout society has more to do with domination and control. And I would argue that that is not innate in men, but that it is learned. Okay. And how do you, we're going to run afoul of the limits of the thought experiment, but how do you imagine a corporate environment that, or I guess a societal environment is part of the project, the feminist project of liberation from patriarchy to establish within systems, existence systems of power. Maybe you want to demolish or smash the patriarchy entirely, but establish within systems, existent systems of power, equality of outcome somehow in achievement. Is that a part of the feminist? Uh, I mean, I'm not like the voice of feminism, um, but there are different, conversations that could be had about whether we're whether whether the ideal outcome is to work within existing structures or whether to break them down i mean i think basically i'm just kind of getting out of answering your question by saying i think it's really complicated and we could probably spend another whole hour on it um i just speaking solely for myself i just want women to run everything for a while and i get a lot of pushback on that a lot of people think that that's a crazy radical idea I don't think that should even be slightly controversial. I think it should be a no-brainer that men should just step out of positions of power and women should be running everything just for a while. I want to I want to I want us to have 100 years. You guys had thousands of years. Just like give us 100 years and see what we can do. See what we can accomplish. What does it look like? This is maybe a better answer to your question. What exactly does that look like? I don't know because we've never done it. But Give us a hundred years and let's see what women can create if we were to run everything. That brings us back to the Wolf event in Seattle in February. I can't yeah. remember the exact date. There was this man at the very end and he stood up. He was a crotchety old man, probably Eastern European, probably slightly drunk. And he posed a question to the panel and he was actually booed off and he was pushed away. And if you guys had... Uh, if you, uh, if the group hadn't been uh, consistently assaulted by the trans radicals, there might have been a little bit more wiggle room to accept his pushback and actually answer the question. But his question was, "What more do you want? You have the, and we're talking about Seattle. Seattle's run by a woman. Uh, uh, the mayor is a woman. The p- chief of police at that time was a woman. Almost all of the council was women. It's basically the city itself is being run by women." Um, so I wonder if, if we look at it that way, then we see, well, what happens when women run Seattle? And then we see what happened in 2020, where you have an actual literal insurrection going on. I'm not blaming women. I'm just saying if we, if we take Seattle, for example, women aren't perfect either. And they're actually, there's a lot of power games going on. And there's a lot of really shady stuff going on. They're just as, I, I think they're probably just as corrupt as males, uh, at least in the existent system of Seattle. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that could be said about that. One of, one of the things is like, Corrupted you know, law. I, 
what was that? Uh, I said corrupt. I should have said corruptible. I think females are just as corruptible as males. And and that may be true is one thing to say about that. And also, it may also be that um, it's it's not that women are as corruptible as men. It's that it gets back to your question about whether we're going to use the existing structures. It may be that anyone, male or female, who is occupying a position of power in the existing structures is corruptible. That may be, I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And um, taking your Seattle example, you know, we may fail. Women running everything may be a total disaster. I'm not guaranteeing success. I'm saying men have run everything for thousands of years. We're running the earth. <laughs> we're, we're Men have been running everything for thousands of years, and under male rulership, we are literally destroying the earth. Like, literally. That's not an exaggeration at all. And give us a shot. See what we can do. Well, I don't know the stat. This is a side point. I don't know the stat, but women are control- in control of 84% of all spending in America. So, in so far as women are taking part in the consumer society that's devouring the earth, they are... Uh, they're doing a lot of the shopping, which is therefore having that effect. Okay, one question. Maybe we can wrap it up or, or kind of land the plane, as they say. Um, what is it specific to females that that in their values, in their outlook, that would make for that that you want to be enshrined in leadership? Why would women? What is different about women than men? Like, what what point of view do they have that that men? don't have access to. I'm not making that. I'm not arguing that they do. I mean, one thing, just to be very clear, women are different from men physically. You know, just we have to acknowledge that unlike the gender ideologues who want to pretend that men can be women, feminists understand that women are female and men are male. So there are those distinctions. We know that. Um, But I am not making an argument that that women are that women should be in charge of everything because we are, are inherently better or that women as a class share some particular trait that would make us better leaders. I'm not making that argument. It could be true. That's not the argument I'm making. The only argument I'm making is that under male rulership for thousands of years, human society is literally destroying the earth. And I'm not blaming the women who, you know, make the shopping decisions today because it's been happening since the Industrial Revolution, at least. Actually, no, it's been happening since agriculture. But anyway, setting all that aside, y'all have been running things for thousands of years and we're ruining the earth. Give us a shot. Just give us a shot. And again, I know people look at me like I grew another head when I say that women need to be in charge exclusively. And I and I get it. But to me, it's just a no brainer. But why then? Other than other than a physical, if there's no difference between what fairness. fairness? Well, first of all, fairness. But second of all, let us let's let's see if we can clean this stuff up. Let's see if we can run the world more effectively than you do. We may not. We may not pull it off. But let's just see if women can run the world more effectively than men have done for thousands of years. What have we got to lose? <laughs> well, uh, well, 
the structures that we have. Um, not that they're perfect, but you would have to actually dismantle everything. But I just have an image. I don't mean this to be combative at all, but I can see that w- when you say, let's clean this stuff up, I, I can see you actually mean you want men to do all the cleaning up. You want men to go, you want women to tell men what to do to reorder society. You, you don't want women laying the bricks, uh, running the oil rigs, inventing new technologies, uh, building the solar panels, uh, actually implementing all the ideas you want women specifically in positions of policy making. Well, I mean, women can do all of those things as well. Do you I want them I to do everything? I mean, that's a different question. But but again, we don't know what we don't know what women would come up with for societal structures given the opportunity to do so in the absence of men. We just don't know. So, let's give it a shot. Now, when you say I want women in positions of being able to tell men what to do, I'm actually not saying that. I'm not arguing that. But I would just ask, why not, given that men have been telling women what to do for thousands of years? What's wrong with arguing that? Well, I just, I don't, I don't, I I don't see how, uh, I don't see how you actually implement it. Uh, Again, it's that, again, this is, this is where my imagination fails. You propose a very big idea, zero rape. Well, how do we get there? Well, I don't know. It's not my fault. It's men, men have to change it. Men need to do this thing. You want women, 100% women in power. How do we get there? I don't know. Well, let's just do it. Like I, I, I have a, there's this huge, what I call the progressive lens of this progressive gap between what we see now and this far off future. There's no, there's a excluded middle here that I, I don't see but how I didn't, we get there. I didn't say that about um the latter i did say that about the former the rape example how do we get rid of rape i did say i don't know men just need to stop raping people and i don't know what's wrong with that as a, as a response um but i didn't say that with respect to women being in positions of leadership because you know there are very clearly things that we could do for women to occupy positions of leadership having to do with voting having to do with hiring we could do that if we wanted to i don't think for a second that we will it's pretty clear to me that we're not going to do that. Um, I'm just saying, you know, and like, why not? Like, why can't I have this dream of women running everything for a while? Well, what, what's your what's your thought about the same argument, but along racial lines, where all white people should give up all positions of power and uh, the whatever we they call the BIPOC or people of color should inherit the earth now. The white people have been running it into the ground. Why not give everything over to them? What what's your response to that? My response to that is I am just really at this point in my life and career, I am exclusively focused on women, including all women. And I would if, if I if I could sort of like create a new system of power and leadership, I would do my absolute best to make sure that there was representation. You know, we'd, we'd have to figure out the numbers and proportions, but I would definitely make sure it's not white women running everything. I don't think we should be excluded, but, but we'd have to figure that out. But I don't want to, like, I am exclusively focused on women and girls at this point. And so I, I don't want to sort of talk about that and then say, okay, well, what do you think about this other thing? Okay. As What's, important as other things are, that's yeah. just not 
Okay. Yeah. Um, fair enough. What's up next? What What's the big push? Uh, what's another project coming up? What can we plug? What do you are you are you starting a podcast? I am not starting a podcast. I have no plans to do that anytime soon. I am, however, serving on the steering committee of the U.S. chapter of the Women's Human Rights Campaign, which everyone can find at womensdeclaration.com. It is an explanation of the justification for uh, protecting women's sex-based rights, specifically on the basis of sex. And anyone in the world can sign it. It has over 17,000 signatures and everyone's welcome, womensdeclaration.com. And once you sign it, if you're interested in working on our work nationally, um, you can fill out a volunteer application form to work with the Women's Human Rights Campaign in the U.S. And we're also working at the international level. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Are you involved directly with Wolf s- still? Uh, I'm a member. I resigned okay. from the board in okay. 2020, but I'm a member. Okay. All right. And are there any products on that you're going to release? Are you writing a book? Do you have a, do you have a book? Is that a terrible thought? What even, what would you think when people accuse you of writing a book? Um, I would, I would like to, can I leave it at that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a sample of that at some point. Hypothetically. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for allowing for well for challenging me and then allowing me to enter into conversation with you to get a better understanding of where my own gaps lie and filling out my understanding of your position. No, I really enjoyed that conversation and I I really just think there's got to be a lot more room for nuance and discussion in society generally and I suspect you'd probably agree with that. I actually kind of built a business model off of it, but I also enjoy it too. So right. that. Yeah, it's good. Thank you very much for joining me, Kara. Thank you, Benjamin. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.